Okay. Well, good morning or afternoon uh, um, to you, and thank you for joining me for this session. It's been a while since I've done a session, a session like this, and I hope you are not too uh, uh, surprised by the fact we are I'm doing a session on a conference call and not Zoom or similar. Zoom is so popular. I actually thought there's something light, easy uh, with a conference call. You can just dial in from wherever you are, you know, while uh, jogging or running or hiking or office or wherever, the car. Very easy. Very easy, and I like that a lot. Um, what I want to cover today in this session, is, or the reason I decided to do a session like this, which has been a while uh, since I did, I've done any type of uh, a presentation or a lecture, about a year, is I want to talk about what I am seeing uh, nowadays with the state of the economy or the state of the economy related to real estate. Um, and I want to discuss the different questions I'm getting on a daily or weekly basis regarding um, you know, the state of the real estate, uh, the state of real estate or the economical side of real estate these days. And I see that I meet with a lot of investors on a weekly basis and I see a lot of questions repeating themselves. All my one-on-one sessions that I hold with investors, um, I see a lot of those questions coming back. And I thought, you know, if there's so many people asking about those questions, maybe it's a good idea or a good thing to, to do something more um, larger discussion and talk about, you know, the things that we are seeing or I'm seeing these days about real estate altogether. Uh, before I introduce myself, because I want to make sure we, you know, all of you know who I am and where I'm coming from and what my experience and what puts you, gives me the position or ability to discuss uh, all of those things, I just want to do some few house cleaning, um, a few house cleaning uh, things to, to just make sure everybody's aware. If you wanted to ask questions while I speak, you can either email that to me, and I will pick up. I'm in front of my, my computer. I will check your emails, and I will pick up on your questions. If you feel to do it this way, no problem. The email is Danny, which I spell D-A-N-I, at simplydoit.net. So Danny at simplydoit.net. I'll get it, and I will, ask, I will read and I'll review the question. At the end of my talk, the, 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 the part that um, um, I'm done with the, what I want to cover. I will open it for Q&A, and you can also unmute yourself and then ask your questions over the phone. That's not a problem. It's entirely up to you how you want to go about it. Either way, it's completely fine. The other thing I wanted to say is that um, um, we have um, uh, a podcast. That I, I have, sorry, I have a podcast. Um, I am now into season three. There are probably well over 100 uh, episodes uh, over the season one and season two, and I try to upload something every other week. And I always talk, take topics that are related to real estate, of course, and I try to make, you know, to educate, to provide information, to share with you things that I'm seeing or experiencing. Um, I can tell you that they recently have done two, in my opinion, fascinating I got. I was at least I was fascinated. Episode one, very recent, where I had a conversation with one of our property managers, who's been a property manager for over 30 years and manages close to 1,000 properties. We had a conversation on tenants, 
verification or tenant you know, processing, or I should say before becoming a tenant, how to make sure we are getting good tenants in the first place. And then the second part of the conversation was the eviction process. So basically we had a conversation on the beginning of a relationship with a, with a, with a potential tenant, and what happens if things don't go according to the plan. We did not talk about management at all you know, in that conversation, and that was fascinating, very eye-opening to, you know, discussion. The second thing uh, I had about uh, three, four months ago was with the uh, owner of a national title company, and we had a very, in, a very in-depth discussion about how to protect your property from the potential of property, meaning title, theft. Are there ways you as an owner can protect yourself from someone somehow not stealing the physical property, but stealing the ownership and then selling it to someone else, which of course is a fraudulent transaction or fraudulent activity, a criminal activity, but is there a way uh, to prevent it? Is there a way to how to fight it? And I found it to be one of the most fascinating uh, interviews I've done in recent years because I was, I was always intrigued by that topic. And there are many more episodes um, on our podcast. If you want to find us, you just need to search for Simply Do It, Guided Real Estate Investing on any of the podcast uh, uh, streamer, such as Spotify, Apple, etc. And if you're really looking for it and you can't find it, just let me know. I'll be happy to send you a link. So Simply Do It, Guided Real Estate Investing, and there's a lot of content. And I promise you, not sales pitch, you know, valuable content. That's always my, been my, my uh, uh, aspiration is to share really good content. The last thing I want to I wanna mention is that uh, we also launched a few months ago a, an education, uh, educational website, which we put real estate courses. A lot of those real estate courses are actually not beginner's courses, but more advanced uh, aspects of real estate investing. And you are most welcome to, uh, to check any of those courses. It, there's information, there's free information, and there's uh, lower fee-based information and higher fee-based information or courses. You are most welcome to go and check our educational website, which is resmart.co. Re like real estate, smart with an S like intelligence, and co oh, .co, not .com, .co. Now, before I actually start talking about today what I have, I want to cover. And again, uh, I want to just uh, uh, mention, if you have questions that you want me to cover while I speak, either wait to the Q&A section at the end of my talk, or uh, send me an email, and I will review the email. The emails can be sent to danny at simplydoit.net. Now, let me introduce myself. My name is Danny Bator. I'm the owner of Simply Do It. We work with real estate investors from different parts of the country and other countries and help them or help them facilitate uh, buying rental properties, investment properties throughout different U.S. metros. I have been a real estate investor since the year of 2002, so I'm almost 20 years into this uh, uh, type of activity, and I've been working with real estate investors, helping them, guiding them, um, um, coaching, uh, training, supporting, etc., since 2004 since of January of 2004, which makes it exactly 
uh, 17 years right, you know, uh, now. And through, my, through those 17 years, I have been supporting, involving, guiding, etc. cetera, um, transactions on more than 4,500 real estate transactions, primarily rental properties purchase, few uh, flip properties, and actually quite a few um, selling real estate uh, you know, properties. The majority of what we've done has been through the years buying rental properties in different U.S. metros. So since 2004, I have been active in multiple U.S. metros throughout the country, probably more than 50, 60 uh, um, U.S. metros. When I say U.S. metros, in, in look, areas such as Phoenix, Orlando, Tampa, Houston, Dallas, Austin, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, uh, Mobile, Alabama, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, you know, um, um, Nashville, St. Louis, Kansas City, Dallas, and the list goes on, right? You get the, you get the, the gist of it uh, and more, you know, in multiple states. Um, and over those years, we were able to help investors primarily buy remotely, remotely being an individual or a couple who lives in many times in Silicon Valley or the Bay Area or other parts of the West Coast or other parts of the U.S., and help them facilitate a transaction, a purchase of a rental property, let's just say in Nashville, in the metro of Nashville or the metro of Kansas City or Orlando, etc. So all those years, I've been only focusing on helping investors buy real estate, you know, real estate or rental properties, mainly single-family homes, primarily single-family homes, but not just that. And I am also a graduate of the 2008-2009 recession downturn we had over a decade ago. And I have to say that as an investor, an individual who, who went into the 2008 uh, meltdown, I had a lot of exposure personally with my own um, investments, per, you know, my own properties. But I always saw my exposure on a much broader scale because a lot of the clients, a lot of my, my clients who were owning real estate also had the same exposure. And when those clients had problems, issues, challenges, and we all did, right? When I meet with people nowadays and then tell, they tell me they, they have a lot of real estate or, or not a lot but a little bit, and they've been doing it since before the 2008-2009 uh, recession, and they, say, they tell me, ah, no, we have no problem, no issue, I know that person is probably not being truthful, right? I don't know anyone who went through those years and didn't have issues. Bigger ones, smaller ones, definitely issues, definitely challenges. And I had, I remember throughout 2008, 9, 10, and into 11, etc. on a daily basis or weekly basis, I received calls from my clients saying, help, I don't know what to do, I'm not sure what to do. Sometimes the calls were more of a uh, help us, uh, um, you know, decide what we can do or help us, you know, sometimes just to vent out, sometimes to express, you know, concern. And I was always there answering those phone calls, making, you know, making sure I'm providing the support, the information, and trying to help not just to how to invest successfully, which is mostly what I do, but also how to get out of a situation, um, you know, which is also part of uh, investing and part of real estate. And over those years, I have learned a lot, about real estate. So the, the 2008-2009, I felt I am entering as an experienced person, 
and I came out of it as a, as a, as a graduate. I had to go through those years into so many nuances that are related to real estate that I never thought I had to, I had to, to you know, to dive into. And I have gained a much more information, much more knowledge, much more understanding about real estate in those two, three years that I probably, you know, in a condensed manner, much more than I've done before, and obviously never on the same scale. So the, for me, the 2008, 2009, you know, meltdown was a really forming uh, event. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really impact, it impacted my life on many levels, professionally, financially, etc. And I've gained a lot of, uh, you know, knowledge at that point of time. And I made sure that when I started going back, you know, not back, when I continued with real estate investing and working with investors, and when things started to turn around, around, let's just say, 2010 and 11, I made sure all those lessons learned, all those pain, stress, issues, etc. I'm going to take all of them. And I'm not just going to say, okay, it is what it is, and let's move on. I'm going to use those experiences, um, losses, emotional you know, uh, constraints, emotional burden, etc., and I will bring it back to the people that decide they want to invest with us. So today, for the past, today meaning for the past 12 years, um, I made sure that when I work with my clients, I bring all those mistakes, issues, problems, etc., onto and share it with them on many levels. Hopefully, they will be receptive enough and will, in, you know, uh, uh, internalize those things and benefit from them. And maybe, ideally, it will save on issues, trouble, uh, if, you know, to avoid them altogether or at least navigate through them while we're, uh, uh, while we're running into a situation or a problem. So a lot of that mega experience in those years is channeled into making sure my clients or trying to make sure my clients avoid those problems, avoid those issues. And I think the past 12 years have proven that some, we're doing something very well. Because it's not that we don't have issues in our ecosystem of simply do it with investment. It's real estate. It's people-based. There are always issues. But we are able to navigate or reduce a lot of the nuances, a lot of the problems that typically come with real estate. And I want to, I want to share with you one thing that I've learned, you know, or one thing that I've learned that related to that throughout the COVID months. So when COVID hits all of us, in March of 2019, about 10 months ago. It was overwhelming for everybody, including myself, and it probably took us a little while to get adjusted to what's going on. The first thing that I did, the minute I realized what was going on after the immediate shock, within probably a week or 10 days after the, 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 the close down and the, the, all of, you know, the shutdown, so to speak, I did the following things. So throughout the beginning of April, I, I did three things that I, I thought to be critical. Number one, I, I held a conference call with all our property managers, with all our realtors, right? And I said, you guys, let's all talk. I want to make sure we share information. We kind of help each other. Everybody's in shock. I wanted to make sure that all our uh, ground teams in different mar markets are all on the same, on, on getting on the same call, 
And we are creating a support system because COVID is not just a financial effect or financial concern at the time. It's also a personal one, right? How am I going to go through this? What is my health? So I wanted to make sure all the teams that we work with are part of a bigger ecosystem, and we will help each other, okay? Knowledge-wise, support-wise, etc. That was the first thing. The second thing I did, I actually called, called all my hundreds of clients. It took me about a month, and I spent hours every day calling every single one of my clients. Many times, I, it was a voicemail. Many times, I, I got on the call and spoke to my clients. Many times, I, uh, uh, you know, people called me back, and I spent many, many hours making sure, how are you doing? Is everything okay on your end? Are you okay? Do you need support? We're here to help. I wanted to make sure that my clients know that I'm not here just when everything is okay. I'm here to help them, even if I don't know all the answers just yet, to make sure they know they can call me, they can consult with me, that we will support them. All of them knew that. It's not, it wasn't a surprise. But many of them also think and said, you know what? There's nothing I need, but just knowing that you're proactively reaching out to check on me, that tells me a lot about you. And I'm not surprised that you're calling, but it's just reassuring what I already knew about simply do it and the way you, you conduct your affairs. The third thing I did, and this is something that really was a, 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 an eye-opening, um, is every mid-month, the 15th of April, the 15th of May, or 15th of June, the 15th of July, I called all my property managers. The reason I did it on the mid-month, on the 15th, is because property managers usually, usually deal with the rent collections anywhere from the 1st until the 10th pretty much, or the majority of the rent collection is being done during those days. So I wanted to give them the time to go through all the collections, uh, to make sure to, do, to run the books, and I wanted to talk to them a few days after the majority of the rent coming in, you know, and took place. And I said, okay, tell me what's going on on your rent. Every property manager, hundreds of many, many, many hundreds of properties, tell me what's going on on your rent. The conversation on, April, uh, on, on the April 15 was, you know what? We have, few houses, you know, we have two or three houses here that we're having a little bit of issues. We're dealing with it. Uh, other than that, everything is fine. Uh, no red flag. We are very, very concerned about May. Okay? So everybody's like, okay, just because now April is, is going okay, I'm not sure what's going to happen in May. Okay. A month later, you know what? Still okay. Go, the two houses from last time that we spoke that we uh, were, uh, had an issue related to the rent, rent collection related to COVID, we took care of it. There's another one now. You know what? Relatively to the number of properties, we're okay. Sounds good. June, mid-June, same thing, similar conversation. You know, I can tell that most of the COVID-related rent issues are being addressed. Some are elevated to a more, uh, uh, like, serious one, but are being, being dealt with. No major catastrophe. No major, like, like fires. It's just, you know... Okay, we're okay, and that was pretty much the same thing with, with, you know, in July. But in June and July, I also noticed they're telling me one other thing. Danny, we're actually seeing more people searching our properties online or applying or, you know, putting applications. There is an increase of the amount of activity that, you know, or, or people are asking about our properties. So in June, we, we thought we didn't really know what's going on. In July, we said that it's the second month we're seeing this. 
Now, what am I trying to tell you? In my world of real estate, the ecosystem that I call Simply Do It, most of my investors, well, after talking to all the property managers and all my, or most of my investors, I realized that, yes, we do have some issues related to COVID on a few houses. There may be 10 to 15 houses that we can connect the issues related to COVID, meaning rent collection or tenant issues. 10 to 15. And I have to say that probably two of those houses, as much as I recall, were even had issues before COVID, and then it just got worse with COVID. Out of many hundreds of properties, for me, it tells me something well is happening here. Something, there is a resilient factor that is, is that it's taking place. Now, if you go back to my previous story about my experience with the uh, with the uh, um, uh, with the 2008-9 crash, one of the things that I started doing right after is I completely redesigned my systems, my processes, my methods about real estate investing. So I really reinvented my business from the ground in the way how I go about analyzing properties, how I go about uh, um, evaluating areas and everything. And my starting position was from this point on, moving on, my first assumption is the next crash is coming. When? I don't know, but it's coming, right? And for the past 12 years, and I know it sounds like it's cheap talk when you say it now, but I will tell you that for the past 12 years, I have been getting ready, being prepared, making decisions, talking to people as if the next crash is coming. Like they always talk about the next big you know, earthquake. And when COVID hit, and I went through those several months of conversation with my clients and the property managers and realized that, relatively speaking, we have a smaller, very tiny number of properties that are being um, in, in a distressed situation, I told myself, okay, Danny, something is well going here because this is not pure luck. You are planning for this day. You were making decisions as if this day is going to come. You, you were focusing or visioning this day for the past 12 years, and now your investment formula is being stress test. And so far, the stress test is working. It's surviving, right? We don't know if it's going to survive forever, but just to go through so many months still and seeing that what I always had in my mind in the back of my mind, and it was actually dictating a lot of the, 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 the path I'm going to take with myself and my investors, is surviving the current times. And I have to say, to know that you're planning for something, and then that thing that you're planning on is, is taking form in some sort of a pressure from outside forces, like I'm talking about, and it's surviving it well, that's a really good, really, really good uh, you know, feeling to have. And I'm glad that we were planning for it, and I'm glad, I'm sad that we had to go through this stress test, but not, not, nonetheless, I'm glad that when we're going through this stress test, it's surviving well, okay? So it's not 100% survive. So that's kind of one of a few of the things that, from my background, how the 2008 and 2009 was so impactful on me and that it made me kind of delete my business in the sense of how I was doing things before, and starting to put all those uh, checks and balances and systems and processes back together 
in a completely different, you know, different uh, uh, way. Now, the other thing that I am constantly get asked about is, what is what's going to happen? Are we going to see a meltdown? Is the is the real estate? Are we going to crash? Um, you know, should I wait? Should I buy? I think first of all, this is very confusing for a lot of us. On one hand, we know something is going on with the economy, obviously. On the other hand, we get signals that things are not exactly following the concern, especially we can see with real estate, in the real world. Because what's going on in most U.S. metros real estate-wise right now is that we have low inventory levels, high demand that is pushed by super low interest rates. So if someone was already active one way or another before COVID hit, and if you remember a year ago or so, it was already challenging times to buy real estate, especially when you are very picky and, and choosing properties carefully. So if you're not picky, that's not a problem. But if you are picky like we are, the inventory was challenging, getting good properties was challenging, and what happened six months in and after? It's got even worse. A lot of people, when COVID hit, there was a lot of sellers that pulled out of the, of the market and actually took their houses out and said, too much uncertainty. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do major life changes in an uncertainty period. And, or they were afraid or they were nervous, whatever the reason. So a lot of the inventory was pulled out. And you can see it almost in every, every U.S. metro. And then... When things started to kind of come back, it was super backwind by low interest rates. So think about, and, when, and by the way, this is a conversation or conference call with real estate investors. Remember, real estate investors are the tail of the industry. This industry, the real estate industry, is not led by real estate investors. We are the tail. It is led by homeowners. So let's think about this. Let's use this, this person, this family, that wanted to buy a house. One day they wake up in 2016. They live in a nice suburb, renters, in a nice suburb of Nashville, just using as an example. And they're saying, honey, let's buy a house. It's about time. I see things are picking up for our end. And they start thinking about it and put the finances together. And it's a year later, and they're like, oh, my God, this house that we wanted to buy across the street is now fifteen, twenty thousand, even ten thousand, you know, you know, uh, dollars more. We cannot afford it anymore. Our, we could only afford seven hundred dollars a month, or whatever the number is, or six hundred dollars, you know, in, in in mortgage payments. Now it's nine. Now it's eight hundred or nine. We cannot afford it. So that person is sitting there and saying, "I can't afford that house." And they see how the houses around them keep appreciating. And then all of a sudden, they're 2020, and they're saying, wait, we got ready. We saved a little bit. We, we, we fixed our credit. Remember that house? It cost more than what we were looking at 2018 or 19, a bit more. But the interest rate is so low, it's more affordable for us. So actually, we can now afford it. So those people are coming back to the game and saying, wait, what's going on here? It's crazy. Finally, I can afford, even if the price is higher, it is mitigated by low interest rate. So buyers are coming back. 
investors are coming back, so to speak, uh, or continuing to buy, and that creates high demand, low, low, low supply. It all comes to, down to supply and demand. So as investors, this is creating a more challenging time to buy than before. Now, the biggest question that I hear in the past weeks, and I'm going to make a quick pause here and just remind those who joined us, if you want to send questions, you can send it to me by email to danny at simplydoit.net, or you can wait um, until I'm, I'm done with what I want to cover, and then we will open up for questions. So going back to, uh, to, uh, um, to us investors who are... Um, who, wanna, uh, who keep asking me, should I wait? What's the state of the economy? I will tell you the following. First of all, honestly, I don't know. I really don't know. I wish I would, right? What I do know is the following. Or, this is my guess, or this is my interpretation. First of all, a couple of things that I look at um, when, I, when, I, when I'm trying to kind of evaluate what to do. Number one, and that's also something I've learned in, in the, in the, uh, in the, 20, the 2008 you know, meltdown, is that when a meltdown happens, the government responds. Back then, the response were in the following fashion. The short sales kind of came into the, main, to the center stage. Short sales, short sales were always around very on the, on, the, on the fringe, all of a sudden short sales are the thing. Short sales became a very popular tool or mechanism to, um, uh, to, to address the situation. And if you don't know what short sale is or you don't remember, let, you know, it, I can talk about it further in the Q&A or if you can up, I just don't want to give you too much from the content. But that, the point is a mechanism called short sale was introduced to the center stage. A mechanism called loan modification was introduced to the, to, the, you know, to the center stage. They're always around. They just move from the fringes to the center stage. A, a mechanism called didin lu, whatever that means, another mechanism was introduced to the almost center stage. Okay? And what, what one could tell is that the government is putting program. There was a big bailout, if you remember, back then. Uh, major bailout, which I, I, at the time of the bailout, I just looked at it and I thought this is terrible in my opinion, and I'm actually glad to see that a decade later, lesson learned from the bailout, um, and it was not done again, because I thought it was wrong the way it was done, but it doesn't matter now. Um, so the government is responding. It's in, in introducing mechanisms, programs, into the market so the market can digest the situation. So the first thing for me is the unknown, which we're already seeing it, but we don't know uh, clearly. For example, nowadays we have a new two mechanisms. One is the forbearance, and one is the, um, is the, you know, the stimulus check, right? It's a mechanism, right, one way or another. Now, if the economy will continue to going in, in, you know, south, the government and the banking system will introduce either the old mechanism I mentioned earlier, short sale, et cetera, or new one. Why? To help mitigate the situation. Do I know for a fact that, that what, what will, they will do? I do not. I just 
saw this happening in the past. I just know how regulators are responding. And for me, this is the, the one vector that I still don't know if it will be happening or not, but I'm sure there is a vector called financial mechanism being will be introduced if needed. Vector number one. Vector number two, which is the unknown, is how will the banking system will adopt or not those mechanisms. They may be really good with them, and they may be really poor with them. Looking back a decade plus ago, the, the banks were overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the, uh, the, the, you know, the amount of foreclosures or the amount of issues, and it took the bank a really, really long time to respond properly and to bring things back to the, you know, back to, to, to some sort of a normal progress. So second vector, banking responding to the regulator with those programs, how will they be introduced? The third one is how we consumer are going to be taking advantage or not of those mechanisms, right? So there are three vectors that are still unknown, in my opinion, that are not enabling me to the, to the, to understand or evaluate how things are going to be with the, with the state of real estate. Now, to that, we have to add a few more, you know, few more uh, kind of forces or, 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 or aspects. Number one, the demand for real estate was very high. So there's a higher demand before COVID hit this country. Okay? So that's one factor. Second thing is, um, um, this is like, an, like, a, like, a, like the, the COVID is like an, an ongoing event, right? It's continuing on one end, and things happening, you know, while it's continuing, meaning vaccines are coming back. Sorry, are coming, right? Do we know the vaccines are going to be fully immunize the society? We don't know yet. We hope so. We think so. But obviously, we want to see how fast vaccines are, are going to be, uh, you know, deployed how effective they will be, are they going to cover those, all those, you know, strains, etc. So there's still uncertainty with the, uh, with, the, uh, uh, with the COVID itself and the vaccination that is coming. So that's another force. So all those forces are working not together, but not necessarily against each other, but they're responding to one another. All of those things tells me how can someone determine how quickly the economy will go back to some sort of normality, um, and in what way? Okay, it is. There's, if everything goes well, maybe this summer we're going to be seeing some resemblance of the life we had before in terms of traveling and flights and hotels and restaurants. Maybe, maybe not the same as it was. Maybe it'll take another five years to go all the way back, or not. But at least we're going to be less self-quarantined or regulator quarantine and be able to go out and, and kind of stimulate the economy. When you go out and you, you know, when you buy a property or you go out to a restaurant, you actually help the economy, believe it or not. Like I, I try to help the, the economy quite, quite a bit, I have to say. So, uh, so those things are forces that are happening that are hard to decipher how will they fold and dictate where the economy um, uh, uh, will go to. 
the next question or the next thing I tell myself always and I've learned over the years, when, when I'm faced with a philosophical question, something that it's really hard for me to, to kind of break down and, and get a good conclusion, I start asking myself pragmatic questions, not philosophical questions, what's going to happen or how the economy will do, like what more pragmatic, more specific questions. Is there a way I can go about investing today that will mitigate the possibility of a meltdown or values changing in the short, you know, in the next few years? Or should I buy this house in this metro versus this house in that metro, specifically this house or that house, this property or that property? I try to bring it down quite a few notches and make it not philosophical, because philosophical is hard to understand. It's hard to take action items of it to, to a level that I can relate, conclude, make decisions, right? And by the way, there's no right or wrong decision when, when in, in, this, in this atmosphere. We, you know, me and one of you can have this, this conversation on a one-on-one and may conclude different, you know, conclusions and go about it in different ways, and that's okay. It's actually beautiful that we, you know, everybody has their own take or opinion. Now, so what I tell myself and I tell the, the people that I speak with regarding the reduction in values should I buy tomorrow. First of all, is it possible that a house that I'm buying today for 200000 will go in down in value to, let's say, 160, which is a, what, 20% uh, drop, right, or, 150, whatever, 25% drop in the next six months or a year or so. Absolutely. It also can happen that it will not go down, you know, by 25% in the next six months or a year, but in three years from now. Yes, absolutely. So how do I, as an investor, mitigate? Huh. Okay. For, so first of all, I think that as an investor, I need to understand it's a possibility, Right? Now, if I'm an investor and, and I know that I'm trying to mitigate against those things, what I would do is tell myself, first of all, let's make good decisions to minimize the chances of this is happening. For example, let's buy in a market that it's not showing strong signs of potential decline. Right? Let's, right now, Vegas is an example where I would not, continue, I would not buy. Um, or San Francisco, by the way. San Francisco, the city. Let's buy in areas that are showing strong growth, job growth, and population growth. Okay, that will fuel the, the demand, right? It's all down to supply and demand. Let's buy in a good area, quality property, not a crappy property. Okay, very important. Not everybody's doing it. Quality will have a better chance. Quality schools, quality the age, quality the, the, the condition of the house, Quality, the, 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 the community or the immediate area, you know, that's what I mean by quality. And if I make good decisions in buying quality, I'm reducing the chances that this property will suffer from all those aspects, right? So that's what I mean by quality. It's actually resilience-oriented quality. And if I hold this property for the next 10 years and plan to at least 10 years, maybe five, but let's just even look for the long term, 10 years, the chances are that throughout those 10 years, even if my 
value, the value of my property declines over the next 10 years, it will come back up. Historically speaking, that's what happens. Is it a guarantee? 100% no. But did it happen? Absolutely. What happens if you buy now a property and exactly 10 years from now, you know, you want to sell it and it's a really bad timing to sell because the economy is not, is not in position well. What do you do? Absolutely nothing. You wait and you, and you hang on to that property a few more years and let the economy recover because historically speaking, it does recover every time. It just takes time until it does so. Let me share you a personal story. In 2005, I bought a house in East Orlando. East Orlando is a good area, a good part of Orlando, for $180,000. Maybe $190,000. don't remember now. Either $180,000, $190,000. With a tenant. And I still own that house. And that house, in 2009, when I kept watching on the value, went all the way from 180, all the way down to um, 84, 500, which is more than a half, right? On paper, I didn't sell, I didn't do anything. I was just unhappy with the value. That wasn't a nice feeling to, to have when you go to sleep at night and think about the value. It's not, I promise. But when I thought about it, and I kind of looked at it from the side. I, say, I asked myself the following question. Were you looking to sell it right now? No. Are you planning on holding it anyway a bit longer? Yes. Is there anything you can do because of the situation here that maybe will benefit you? Yes. Let's do a loan modification. Drop my rate from 5% to 2.5. Okay. Or 2.6 something. Okay. Let's do that. Took a while. Can you... Are you seeing any, anything good about what's going on right now? Absolutely. Rent went up, vacancy went down. So things are not bad cash wise, they're just not pleasant when I tell you. Aha, this is interesting. So what happened during, what I noticed, that during the, the downturn years of 2008, 9, 10, maybe even 11, rent went up, vacancy went down. So cash wise things were improving, value-wise, for the first. And everyone I want to look before you panic, it's first out. If you can hang on and just keep the property, because remember, we bought quality property in quality area. We didn't buy crappy stuff. We bought good. So all the other decisions leading to that
It's not too many things. If you want to have a question, but if you're asking yourself, okay, let me take a look at this property. Does it make sense to me? Does, do the numbers work? Is the quality factors in? Can I make the property now? Yes or no? If I'm not sure, I'm not going to buy it. If I'm positive or sure enough, then I'll buy it. If you're looking for 100% confidence in the decision of what to buy, when to buy, it will never happen no matter what the economy is doing. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as the amazing opportunity that you see one, 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 what is this? Right? And if you think you're going to have 100% assurance you're making good decision about it, you're, you are misleading yourself. You're lying to yourself. What you want is to have your confidence level as high as possible, but you always have some uncertainty. That's called doubt, which is healthy. That's called unknown. That's called risk. Okay? But if you're saying, you know what? I don't like this house for the following reasons, but this one actually makes sense to me because of the pricing, the value, the rent, whatever the factors are, and you can make that decision. So the, so the two things I want to suggest is, this is what I want to teach you about the institution. Two things. One, make good decisions along the way and, and buy quality and hold for the long term you will most likely, just by nature, will offset or mitigate against or hedge against economic right? So that's one. The second thing, try not to be philosophical about it. Try to be specific, as specific as you can. You can. You can. Should I buy that? Should I buy that? Okay. But if you go deeper, should I buy this house? And this out, and you evaluate it and analyze it properly, then all this philosophical level becomes very, you know, straightforward. I need to get an answer. And it's no longer philosophical. It's all about now making specific decisions about specific investment opportunities. So, what I want to say is this. So, first of all, taking taking part, and I hope you are making and I hope you do understand that this is not a guarantee what the market will do, because I don't know. I think that anybody will tell you is being un untruthful. But are there opportunities there? Oh, yeah, 100%. We're seeing them on a few places. Absolutely. Is everybody a good one? No. We looked at 11 tunnels in, in North Dallas last week. We analyzed all those brand new
nature will help mitigate against or hedge against different things that can happen with your investment, primarily the values. Okay? Okay, so now what I'm going to do, I'm just going to, um, I'm going to be opening for questions. I'm going to, I'm checking my email to see if anything came to the email. If you want to ask via email, send me an email. Danny, which I spell D-A-N-I, at simplydoit.net. And if you want to ask a question verbally, I think what you need to do is unmute yourself by pressing star six. Star six. And if you can uh, uh, state your name and ask your question, that would be terrific. So the floor is yours. Email me or star six, and let's see if I can answer your questions. I hope I can. Hello? Okay. I can hear you. One second, please. I, see that I think I'm hearing questions. Hi, Danny. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Hi, Danny. This is Go ahead. Robbie. I was just wondering. Go ahead, Robbie. Yeah. Uh, I was just wondering. Uh, what kind of uh, investment suggestions or locations right now you are suggesting, if you have any suggestions? Absolutely. So for me, it's uh, always, always kind of a moving target, but not moving on a weekly, monthly basis. Every six months to a year, things change in the marketplace, and that tells me one market or metro is um, no longer sustaining what I'm looking for, and another one should be I'm looking for the next one. These days, we are focusing on St. Louis, Missouri, the greater Kansas City, Nashville, and Dallas-Fort Worth. Okay, Robbie? Yeah, I got the answer. Uh, I'll also keep in touch in email. Uh, some other uh, private questions. Okay, no problem. Thank you, Ravi. Thank you. I saw others jumping to this uh, questionnaire uh, box on my uh, control panel, and uh, hopefully I can unmute all of you. Okay. Is there another question? And maybe I should say while I'm waiting for the next question is if you are interested, I didn't mention it earlier, in speaking to me one-on-one, -on -one, more of an intimate or more specific of your situation, I do it every day. Um, we take 30 to 40 minutes, address your questions, answer your concerns, address your concerns, answer questions, so we can take our, the way we go about real estate investing at large and bring it down to your specific level, to your specific situation. And there's no, um, 
it's not a sales pitch. You're not. I'm not gonna. You know, we're not gonna. I'm not gonna sell you any any books on tapes or anything like that. We're gonna have a conversation. We're gonna explore together. It's what we do is that can be beneficial for what you're trying to do as an investor, and maybe you'll consider joining our program. Maybe, but that's something we have to uh, uh, first maybe discuss and see if it's a good fit. So if you want to join or want to sign up for a meeting, let me know. Um, we do have um, a form. We call it an intake, a pre-meeting form of two, three minutes that we ask you to complete. No credit card, no social security, nothing personal, just general understanding of who you are, what's your little bit of your background, and a few open questions that we want you to complete so we are both better prepared for the session. Okay. Rachel, do you have a question? No, I'm good, thanks. Go ahead, please. I don't have any questions, thank you. Oh, okay, no problem, no problem. Good. Let me see my uh, uh, my email again and see if there's any questions coming through. One second. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, if there are no other questions, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I uh, personally enjoyed um, this past hour with sharing the information, and we're going to send this session uh, in the recording so others, a lot of people can join, but we want to join the recording. So thank you. Hopefully we can do something like this in the near future as well. And again, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, sign up for one of our sessions. Uh, the one-on-one we call study session, just let me know and we can get it happen. We can make it happen. Have a terrific rest of your day. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you.